The following is part of the teaching ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel in Barrie, Ontario. We believe firmly in proclaiming the Word of God without apology. For more information about our church, visit our website at harvestberry.ca or email us at info at harvestberry.ca. We trust that this message will challenge and transform you. All right, ready for God's Word? All right, let's go. I was thinking about Niagara Falls. Y'all, got, y'all know where Niagara Falls is, right? Any, anybody here um, never, <laughs> never been to Niagara Falls? You live here in Ontario. You've never been there. Anybody? Really? Let's get you there. Let's, let's, let's pack up the car this afternoon and head down to Niagara. All right? Um, so Niagara Falls. Um, uh, you know, Niagara, I was thinking about this. Niagara Falls cannot help but do what the Niagara River gives it to do. It can't help it. It has to do it. It, it moves water from Lake Erie to Lake Ontario in, in a really what is a torrential flow through that river, even frozen over. Have you seen the pictures of Niagara Falls frozen over? Uh, even frozen over, um, the ice cannot hinder uh, the torrent of water that's flowing through the Niagara River. Even beneath the surface of the ice, nothing hinders the flow of water. Now, no matter who you are, no matter what we see on the surface of your life, beneath it there is a flow coming out of your life through largely your words and attitudes. It's a flow that cannot be stopped. And it comes from your heart. It flows out from the deepest part of who you are. And you are no more able to contain what comes out of your heart. You can't control it in the same way that the ice on Niagara Falls on the Niagara River cannot stop the flow of water moving from one lake to the other. What comes out of your heart? The reason why this is so important is because what comes out of your heart affects everything and everyone around you, positively or negatively. And beyond that, it actually tells us who you really are. At the core, it tells us the kind of person you are. Now, today's text, Jesus essentially says just that. Everything we see in each other, and this is a phrase right out of the text, flows out of the abundance of the heart. And I'm going to ask you the question that he was asking, in essence, of his readers on that day when he taught this sermon. What's, this is the question, what's coming out of your heart? That's all I want you to think about today. What's coming out of your heart? Every one of us asking the question, what's coming out of my heart? What are people seeing and hearing in me? Let me read the text. This is Luke chapter 6, verses 37 through 45. Let me read this and then I'll pray. Uh, Jesus speaking again. This is the Sermon on the Plain. He says, judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? 
disciples not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck that's, uh, that's in your eye. Take out the speck that's in your eye. When you yourself do not see the log that's in your own eye. You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck that is in your brother's eye. For no good tree bears bad fruit. Nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good measure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you um, again uh, for this time together with your, your word open uh, in front of us. I, I pray, God, that this time would be awesome. God, that it will make an impact in our lives. And God, we know that's only going to happen if your Holy Spirit works in the hearts of both the preacher and the listener. So God, please uh, do this. Uh, Fill me, uh, fill us with your word. Uh, Father, do a great work here, great and awesome work that we'll see change happen in our lives as a result. God, this thing... Uh, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right. <clears throat> so what's coming out of your heart uh, for uh, questions? Uh, is it uh, criticism? Uh, criticism or grace? What's coming out uh, from you? Jesus says, notice verse 37, just the first two words. Uh, Judge not. Uh, we see a parallel statement again in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7. Um, and in the King James, I think it says, uh, Judge not, lest ye be judged. Now, now tell me, I want to clear something up with this particular phrase. Because tell me that you don't hear this from people from time to time. And, and you have some idea that when they use this with you, that they're using it wrongly. But they use it to kind of put some distance between you and something you're saying about them. True or false, that happens. Uh, Totally true. And I think we need to clear up some confusion about this verse. And then we need to make a pledge, because this is the right thing. We need to make a pledge that we're never going to use this verse wrongly again. Okay? Uh, Jesus says, what he says here, this is a favorite of people who say they love Jesus, but they still want their sin. They don't want accountability. They don't want to have anybody point out anything in their life that might be sideways. And as soon as you begin to hint at anything in their life, you're saying, hey, I just need to talk to you about this. I don't know if you see this in your life. Hey, hey, hey. What do they say? Judge not. Judge not. Lest you be judged. They have this whole, you know, hashtag, don't judge me. They have that attitude in their life. You can't judge me. Don't judge me. So, but this is not in any way, when you look at what Jesus is saying here, uh, this is not in any way a blanket prohibition against all judging of one another. It's not. 
I mean, to believe that is to ignore so many other things that the Bible says about how we're supposed to be helping one another in our walk with Christ. In fact, to say that this is a blanket prohibition on all judging is to ignore some of what we already just read in this very passage. Because Jesus goes on to say uh, some very judgmental things, some judging things about some other people. Plus, he gives us permission to be doing some of that work in each other's lives. And I love uh, this. I've used this before in teaching on these verses. Um, Alexander Strzok, he says this in his book, Leading with Love. Uh, Jesus is not forbidding all judging. That would be absurd. To do so would be condemning himself because no one criticized the Pharisees and scribes more than Jesus Christ. What Jesus prohibits in this passage is sinful, improper judging. It is the hypocrisy of condemning others, but failing to see one's own glaring sins. That's the key to it. See, the problem is not that we judge. It is that very often our motive and the manner of our judging is with a critical heart rather than being grace-filled. That's the problem. And so what Jesus is really saying is don't judge, don't condemn one another in an unfair way. Don't do it harshly. Don't do it with wrong motives. What would be some of those wrong motives? I I think sometimes we criticize each other because we want to have power over the other person. And if I get my word in, if I criticize you, I can help keep you in your place. And I can have some authority, some power uh, exercised over you. Uh, Sometimes we do it uh, because we're trying to make you better so that our life is easier. And this is uh, somewhat common in marriage. Where I think I'm going to try and fix you. And the reason why I want to fix you. My motive is not so much that I really care about you so much. My motive is so that my life will be easier. You might be guilty of that maybe. And uh, I might be guilty of that as well. Maybe I uh, criticize someone because I want to make myself look good. So I run you down. None of that's right. None of that's good. Instead, we need to be gracious. Grace-filled. We need to forgive. We need to keep short accounts with people and offer forgiveness freely when they've wronged us, when we see things in their lives that are not quite on track. So gracious, so effusive in mercy and generosity toward people. So that we'll be forgiven when the time comes for us. And Jesus wants to make the point here about the kind of generosity, the the kind of of overwhelming grace that he's really looking for here. It's not ordinary. It's not rank and file at all. And he says in verse 38, um, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put into your lap. So he's using this image of trade, of buying and selling. Dan, could you bring that tray over here, please? I just set it up here on the table. I want to uh, talk to you about this for a second. And I want you to get the picture of what he's, he's actually saying uh, here in these verses. You see that, given it will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. Now, this is an image of, of buying, selling, trading. This is like being at the bulk barn. 
This this is like going to the market and and buying something out of a bin. It's got to be measured out. It's got to be weighed out. Now, this verse, by the way, because we're very interested in studying the Bible accurately, correct? Eight or nine of you are interested in that. So um, let's just go with that and the rest of you can tag along. We're we're very interested in studying uh, the Bible accurately. And amen. And, and so this verse is very often used. It just it taken right out of here, uh, right out of Luke six and very often used to refer to giving. So uh, pastors, and I didn't li- listen to all my past sermons to see if I've ever used this verse in a giving context. But the reality is, if you read the context of what Jesus is talking about, is he talking about finances? No, he is not. Is he talking about giving to the church? Uh, No, he is not. That's not the context here. And so when he's talking about giving, what he's talking about is grace. He's talking about the gifts that we give to one another in terms of our outflow of our heart and the words that we speak to one another and the attitudes that we have with one another. That's what he's talking about here. He's not motivating people to give uh, financially. He's just thinking about this criticism versus grace question and what's coming out of our hearts. And so, so let, let me show you this here because he uses four descriptions to say descriptions to show here what he's talking about in terms of the kind of grace that we're supposed to have for one another. And notice he says, first of all, it's measured out. It's pouring. It's pouring out. Okay, it's just pouring out. He's measuring it out. Okay, that's the first thing he says. And then notice as the verse goes on, he says it's, it's pressed down. And so he's, as it's going in, we're making sure that we're filling every gap that we can possibly fill. And we keep measuring it out. And then it says we've shaken it together. We're making sure that every gap is full so that we have as much in the container as we possibly can. And then what does it say next? Help me out there. What does it say? I got yellow chickpeas everywhere. What does it say? running over so this is the picture of what he's saying concerning the grace of god that's the grace that's supposed to be flowing into all of our lives and the grace that we're supposed to have for one another now do you feel like you got that you feel like you understood it i feel like you didn't get it and i feel you didn't get it because i used yellow chickpeas and i don't even know what anybody would even use these things for So we're going to get rid of the yellow chickpeas. And Dan, bring that other tray over here. I think they'll get it with this. All right, bring that over here. This is caramel corn. (laughs) See, now I think you're going to get it, right? So, right? Measured out. How many people aren't thinking about the Bible anymore? (laughs) Right? And remember, folks, this is healthy because it's corn, right? So, So corn is natural. God made corn. So it's measured out and then it's, we press that down and then we shake it together and then beautiful golden caramel corn. Amen. Wasn't that way better? That was way better. Ooh, that smells so, can you smell that from where you are? I smell that now. Let's just close in prayer. This is grace. This is God's grace towards us over. I don't want you to miss the picture of what God's doing toward us, what we ought to be doing, because this is what the passage about, what we ought to be doing with one another. A lot less criticism, a lot more overflowing with grace. 
And when you get this, the text tells us that that you get divine reward back. His overflowing grace comes back to you. It says, this will be whatever you're measuring out, that's going to get put into your lap, okay? And the picture here is that, that um, what would happen in the Near East is after they would do the measuring out, it wouldn't be that people would necessarily carry um, uh, containers around with them, but they would actually take their tunic I'm sorry, you're going to see my man punch for a second here. But they would actually take their outer tunic like this and they would fill that all up in here. And then with their arms, they would carry it. And that's what God is saying. I want to overflow grace to you. I want you to have that right here. I want you to be burdened by it. I want you to be walking around and that grace is just spilling out in your life. Now tell me it isn't awesome that God offers us that. We need to have that grace for one another because that's the way it comes to us. And then he says in verse 38, the latter part there, he just sums it up for with the measure you use, it'll be measured back to you. And he wants them to get the idea of what goes around comes around. The way you treat people is the way you're going to be treated by them and by God himself. It's going to tell us a lot about who you are. Let grace flow from your heart. Rather than criticism. And then ask this question. I mean, is it foolishness or wisdom that's coming out of your heart? A foolishness or wisdom. Verse 39, he also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? Answer? Yes, uh, yes they will. And Jesus then turns his attention, he's turning his attention here to the religious leaders, the scribes and Pharisees uh, who were there. And he's addressing the people as he kind of makes mention of these scribes and Pharisees. And he asks the people, in essence, are you following the right teachers? Are you listening to the right teaching? Because these scribes and Pharisees had set themselves in a position of opposing what Jesus was saying. They, they are the blind man that Jesus is referring to. And the people have the option of, of as blind people who don't understand the ways of God. They can find these blind teachers, these blind guides. And if they do, the result won't be good. Their end, Jesus says, is destruction. It's death, a reference here that he makes using the word pit. But in contrast, verse 40, a disciple is not above his teacher. But everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. And just as the reference to the blind, the blind man is a not-so-veiled reference to the scribes and Pharisees, this is a not-so-veiled reference to Jesus himself. He's the teacher who's going to take them to a good place to, to be fully trained. Now, this is, a, this is for everybody here in the room. This is a who are you going to believe moment. Who are you going to trust? Who are you going to follow in the teaching? And Depending on your response, it's going to show what flows from your heart. Is it wisdom or is it foolishness? I think it's fair to tell you. That for all of us, this is true, it's true for me, it's true for, for every human being. The default setting is, is foolishness, correct? Our default setting is foolishness. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. 
Every one of us uh, chooses our, our own path, our own way, and it's not the way of Jesus Christ. None of us are inclined to believe in Jesus Christ. None of us are inclined to believe the teaching of God's word. Even now, those, some of you even love Jesus. There's a, there's a resistance inside of you that some of you feel. There's this little rebellion stirring up inside of you. I'm not quite buying what he's saying, or or I I sort of hear it, I get it uh, in my mind, but I'm not so willing to do it. That's because our natural inclination in the flesh is to not do the things that God would have us and not believe the Bible. Our natural bent is not wisdom, but foolishness. And so when it comes to the topic at hand here, you're going to be a judgmental person offering criticism without grace. You're going to kill people around you with your poisonous words. And you're going to head to the pit of destruction yourself and take other people with you. Unless, unless you choose the way of wisdom. Unless you intentionally change the default setting of your heart and invite Jesus Christ to be both Savior and Lord of your life. So how can I make sure if I make the decision to follow Jesus and then I face this daily battle of wisdom versus foolishness, how can I really make sure that what's coming out is indeed wisdom? Well, you have to be familiar with what's wise. Does that make sense? If you want wisdom to flow out of your heart, you have to know what wisdom is. You have to read wise things. And so really it just comes down to very simple. To the extent that you are familiar with this book, with what God has given to us in his divine revelation. To the extent that you know this, then you will walk in the way of wisdom. What flows out from you will be wisdom. So so this isn't complicated um, to understand nor to apply We need to listen to a teacher who is not a blind guide, but one who is a wise teacher, Jesus Christ. We need to read the book that speaks of him, that points to him, that contains his words, that that are the very words of life to us. In other words, we have to saturate our life with the word of God. To, To what extent are you doing that? I mean, I don't mean to be rude about it. But I need to ask the question. Is this the first time in the last seven days that you've had your Bible open in front of you? And if it is, I'm going to tell you that that what's going to flow out of your heart, if that's the pattern of your life, then what's going to flow out of your heart is it's not going to be wisdom. You're given, you're given foolish, let's let's just say a one in seven, you're given wisdom one day out of seven and you're giving foolishness six. What do you think is going to come out of your heart? We have to be serious about the word of God, especially in a world that is bombarding us with constant messages of foolishness that lead us down a path to moral destruction. Do you read his word? Study his word. Do you memorize his word? Do you meditate on and think about his word? Do, do you speak about it to other people? Are you, 
Are you encouraging other people around you with the word of God? Are you looking at the word to light your way, inform your thinking? Is is this what you go to in your darkest moments, in your happiest times, in, in point at points of confusion, when you're seeking an answer? It has to be God's word. If what flows from our heart is to be wisdom rather than foolishness, it has to be God's word. Amen? What's coming out of your heart? Criticism or grace? Foolishness or wisdom? Or how about this? Is it, is it hypocrisy or humility? Now, I love the image here in verse 41. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log uh, that is in your own eye. So I was thinking um, that it might be helpful to have some images of what this actually looks like. <laughs> it might look like I drew that, but I didn't. Um, how about this one? Hey, Bob, uh, you have a little something uh, in your eye there. Um, these guys are obviously Baptists. You can tell by their clothing. <laughs> it's okay. I'm Baptist. I was anyways. How about this guy? Aliens. Apparently this applies on other planets too. Dude, you've got a speck in your eye. Or this is my personal favorite, this last one, of course. Right? Lego's basically amazing. That that gives you the picture of what Jesus is saying. It is one guy. There's two guys. One, One has a speck, just a little something in his eye. One has what Jesus says is an entire log in his eye. Now, I want you to show you this quote again from earlier. The last line, it is the hypocrisy of condemning others, but failing to see one's own glaring sins. This is the speck in the log. I'm, I'm, I'm such a hypocrite. I, I don't notice that I've got a major problem going on, but I'm wanting to take care of your little problem. In fact, could I just say this about the speck in the log? have you ever had something in your eye? Have you had something in your eye? And isn't it like, it doesn't matter how small it is. You might even not even be able to see it. And it's still like, it's a log that's in your eye. It might as well be a log. Is that not true? And, and so really it's not that there's a log in the person's eye. It's just that the speck in their own lie, it's as if it's not that the issue is that much bigger or more glaring It's not that there's a big difference between these two people and their walk with Christ. In fact, it's pretty similar. But they can't see past the speck, the log, whatever it is in their own eye. They're just hypocrites. Verse 42, Jesus goes on. So how can can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck, take out the speck that is in your eye. When you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye, you, here's the word, hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. That word hypocrite, um, hypocrisy, really means, um, in this sense, holding a lower standard for myself than I hold you to. I'm going to hold myself to this standard. I'm quite fine with the speck that's in my eye. 
but um, you, I'm holding to a higher standard. I want to tell you about the speck that's in your eye. I think you need to make some changes. A more precise definition would be this. Um, It is the pretense of having the pretense, literally from the word pretend, okay? The pretense of having virtuous character. I'm I'm pretending to have virtuous character. I'm uh, pretending to have a moral or religious beliefs or principles that are at a high standard. I'm pretending all of that, but I don't really possess them. And in fact, the English word hypocrisy comes straight from the Greek. The New Testament is written in Greek. This is a Greek word, and it literally means one who pretends to be other than he really is. The root meaning of the word um, means an actor. So in the Greek language, they would have a word very similar to this one, part of the same word family that refers to an actor who puts on a show, plays a part on a stage, a person who wears a mask. They present a fake picture. They appear to be something that they are not. That's hypocrisy. And we think it's this supercharged word, and we want to be so careful about ever using it for anybody. But the reality is, by that definition... If there's ever a time when we pretend to be something that we're not, where we wear a mask, we're a hypocrite. Hard word. But one that certainly gets our attention. This is Jesus' favorite word, by the way, to describe the religious leaders who were always hanging around him and criticizing them. He often called them actors, pretenders, hypocrites just playing a part but what was flowing from out of them wasn't genuine they weren't the real thing at all and jesus point is that the hypocrite has no place seeking to help anyone else make corrections in their life so that you if that's you if you're a hypocrite if you would just do an honest evaluation right now i'm not asking you to do it in front of anybody else just you before the lord if you if you were just to say you know what, I know, I know that what's on the outside is not the same as what's on the inside. That I've got a facade, I've got a mask on, and inside it's not the way it ought to be. Then all I'm going to say to you today is that the application point for you is this. Cease and desist from trying to correct anyone else. Cease and desist. It's over. There's no more correcting anyone else if this is you. But the humble, in contrast to the hypocrite now, the humble certainly can help. In fact, we not only can help, uh, we have a responsibility in the church of Jesus Christ as brothers and sisters in Christ. We have a responsibility to help one another. But notice from the text, first, first, what? Take the speck or take the log out of your own eye. Make sure you're working on the things that are in your life before you start going around trying to fix everyone else. Be humble enough to admit that you haven't arrived, that you still need help on the path of holiness. None of us has arrived. The the evidence that you have not arrived is that you're here. Okay, that you're not with Jesus. When you meet Jesus face to face, arrived, okay? And, and sin will be done and you will be 
uh, face to face with him and you will get your glorified body and it will be perfect and sin will be no more. Amen. Bring that on. All right. That, that's when you've arrived. But, but because you're here this morning, um, not yet arrived. True? Uh, not, not yet arrived. And so all of us is on, are, are on this journey. And so it's just so important that we would even acknowledge that. And that's kind of like the first step toward humility. In fact, let me give you these three things I wrote down about humility. Uh, how are these things to be um, kind of characterized in my life? Uh, the first thing I would say is um, humility is a full recognition of my own sin and a desire to deal with it. Full recognition of my own sin. In fact, you can't even come to faith in Jesus Christ without first saying, I'm a sinner in need of Jesus' forgiveness. But then that's kind of like the ongoing thing. I know Jesus has forgiven me. I get all of that. But I still know there's a bunch of things I need to work on. And so um, first, humility is a full recognition of my own sin and desire to deal with it. And I would just add in an authentic, transparent, vulnerable kind of way with one another. And then secondly, this humility is... Uh, lovingly speaking the truth, lovingly speaking the truth to others, knowing you need that truth spoken to you. So no one's sitting here right now, uh, nudging the person beside them going, this message is so good for you today. Okay. Nobody is doing that, Uh, but you could say that to yourself. This message is, it's so good for me today. You could say that. So humility is, Lovingly speaking the truth, knowing that you need that truth spoken to you too. And then uh, thirdly, this humility is, is having the other's best interest at heart. I, I kind of said this already. It's having the other's best interest at heart and not my own selfish motives. I, mean, I, I want this for you because I, I just know it's better for you. And wouldn't we all agree that when we sin less, we're blessed more? That's all we really want for one another. We, we want people to have a fuller measure of, of the Holy Spirit in their life and of being like Jesus Christ. And so it's humility is having the other's best interest at heart, not my own selfish motives. About a year ago, um, I felt the need to, to have a conversation, a difficult conversation with one of my fellow lead pastors different city. I went to that city. I planned a meeting with him. I remember sitting down with him at a Tim Hortons. We had a long conversation. In the course of that conversation, I needed to confront him about something, um, his attitude toward another pastor. I needed to confront him about the words that were coming out from him. Some of it was anger. Uh, it certainly wasn't healthy for him. It wasn't healthy for our uh, fellowship uh, among pastors and in our church, uh, our, our church fellowship. And so I confronted him about all of that, uh, felt like his heart, what was the words were really reflecting what was in his heart about this other pastor. And I, it was a very difficult conversation, but he, uh, by God's grace, responded so well to it. He, he didn't push back on it at all, even though it was difficult for him to hear. He received it with such grace. I sought to deliver it in the same way. But he received it so well. And these things you would agree, if you've ever tried to do this kind of things, they can go sideways so quickly. Uh, But he received it so well, he responded. And I noticed that he corrected his attitude. And everything else over the past 12 months has just really shown me how that's just changed for him. And and, um, 
He's just not in the place that he was. He received it uh, so well. It's such a great illustration of what we're talking about here. And it would be wonderful to just end the story there and just say to you that I'm the hero of the story because I went to him and humbly told him that he needed to change. Only uh, this past week, he needed to do the same with me. And I got, uh, we've been in an ongoing discussion about something that he's noticing in my life. And um, after back and forth um, on the phone and by text over a period of weeks, and then in a final text on Thursday morning, he just said to me, "Um, what I need to say to you is too long for text. Watch for an email. And um, I kind of had a sense of what was going to come And it's interesting how much in parallel it was, it is, to the situation that he was facing. That my attitude toward another pastor wasn't great. That he saw a speck in my eye that needed to change. And I might have been unwilling to hear that from him, except that he was willing to deal with the speck in his eye last year. And we have the relationship of Grace flowing back and forth with one another. And he in his email was so pointed in what he was saying. This is the problem. This is the way I see it. And this is, to use the language of Jesus here, this is the pit you're heading toward. What I see in your life is critical spirit. What I see in your life is foolishness. What I see in your life is hypocrisy. You're trying to help all these other people, but you have this thing going on in your life. I needed to hear it. And he was right in every way. And I received it from him because he's a humble man. He was humble enough to know that he had a sin issue last year that needed to be dealt with. And he was perfectly positioned to help me. Now I tell you that because that's exactly what we're trying to cultivate here at Harvest. That maybe you've heard the phrase and maybe you haven't, but... The way that we do life together here, the way that we disciple one another, the way that we help one another in our Christian walk, the way that we counsel one another is something that we call biblical soul care. And Pastor Roger, he's over here to my right. He's our pastor of biblical soul care. And and it's it's not a counsel. Please understand, it's not a counseling ministry. It's not an add-on. It's not a thing we do over here for people whose problems are just so great that we need to send them to a counselor. It's not that at all. It is this, that the entire church, that all of us who love Jesus Christ and have signed on to be part of this, that we all counsel one another, that we are all accountable to one another, that we all care for one another. What's really curious about a church that really understands this and loves each other in this way and is humble enough about hearing about these specks in each other's eyes is that the number of actual formal intensive counseling situations, actually that percentage plummets. That less counseling is needed in a church because we're all caring for one another and we're not looking for a professional just to do the job. That's... What Jesus is saying here, that we have to be for sure looking out for the specks in each other's eyes. We have to be looking for the specks in our own eyes. We have to love each other enough to care, to counsel, to support, to mentor, to be accountable to one another. 
And it all happens because we're quite humble about the challenge that it is to follow Jesus in this way. You've heard me say it before, we're in this marathon. That's the Christian life. It's a marathon, not a sprint. That no one's breaking the tape in this kind of powerful, fully energized kind of way. We're all just kind of crawling and scraping and making our way and limping along in the Christian life because it's hard. And we need one another. This is what we just say. We need one another to get to the finish line. Amen? We need one another. There are times when we're strong and it's all great for us. There are other times when it's difficult and we need those who are strong to pick up those who are challenged. But we're all just trying to make it to the finish line to persevere to the very end. And that's going to take so much humility on all of our part to receive that. Well, when it all comes down to it, all of these questions kind of funnel down to this one. Because concerning what's coming out of your heart, we just ask this final question, is it evil or is it good? Jesus uh, drives home his message with this uh, image in verses uh, 43 and 44. Uh, No good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its own fruit. Figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. Do I need to explain that? Everybody gets that, right? Apples produce apples. Uh, Beyond that, um, to the extent that you uh, water the tree, uh, cultivate around the tree, prune the tree, fertilize the tree, to the extent that you do all of that, you'll get better fruit. Everybody get that? Even if you're not a gardener, you get that, correct? But if you, if you neglect the tree, if you don't fertilize it, don't tend it, don't water it, well, you're not going to get as much fruit and you're not going to get good fruit. It's going to become overgrown and uh, the fruit just, all the energy is going to go to other things and, and you just won't get good fruit off of that tree. And, and then his second point should be even more obvious than that. If you're not a gardener, you should understand that if you go to a weed tree of some kind, that you shouldn't expect to get apples or oranges off of it. That if it's a thorn bush, as Jesus said, or a bramble bush, that you're not looking to get grapes or figs off of those kinds. It's the wrong kind of tree. It's evil or good that's coming off of you. That's the picture he's creating here. We have to be intentional about what's being produced in our lives so that we are a good tree producing good fruit. See, what's in your heart? That's what you're going to produce. What you're cultivating, what you're fertilizing in here, what you're watering in here, that's going to determine the kind of tree you are, whether you're a good tree or a bad tree, whether you're good or evil. What kind of fruit is being produced out of your life? It all starts with the, with the heart. And if you love Jesus Christ, if you believe that he is the son of God, if you believe that he took on human flesh and came to this earth and dwelt among us, that he gave his life as a sacrifice on the cross, on the third day was raised to new life for us. If, if you believe these things and embrace them with all of your heart, if you believe that God's grace to you is a gift 
that the only way to receive it is an act of faith, that, that all of these things we're talking about are not a means to receive salvation. I, I don't use good speech. I don't try to live in a morally upright life in order to gain God's favor. He gives me his favor. I receive his salvation by faith alone. And then the fruit that is produced out from that is good. That he alone offers the forgiveness of my sins. That he is alone the means of being reconciled to the Father. Do you believe all of this? And if you do, then what will be produced in your life is good. It is. And if what is being produced in your life is not good, If what's coming out of your mouth is not good, then no matter what you say you believe, what's coming out is proving that what's inside is not genuine. See how serious this is? We need to be producing good fruit out of a heart that's good, that's saved by Jesus Christ because we came to him in faith. Verse 45, the good person, saved by Christ, declared to be good on the basis of what Christ did. Notice, the good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the person for whom none of this is true, who's not producing anything good, this is the evil person. What we see and what we hear from you flows out of your heart, and it tells everyone who you really are in your heart. It tells us if you truly are Jesus Christ's own, saved by his sacrifice. It tells us whether or not you have been baptized by the Holy Spirit and are filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit. And if you're increasingly reflecting the holiness that comes from the Father alone. And it's one or the other. It's good or evil. What's flowing? See, this is the last Sentence, what's flowing out of the abundance of your heart? We can tell by the words that you use, by the manner of your life, by the attitude that you have for good and for evil. So what's coming out? Is it, is it grace? Is it wisdom? Is it humility? Is it good? When you love and follow Jesus Christ, these things will be this untamed torrent flowing out from your heart and everyone will see it around you. It'll reflect the very nature of Jesus Christ himself. God, let that be true of us, amen? Let that be true of this church. Let me pray for us. Father, I'm so grateful that you, um, you care enough about us. Uh, you love us so much that you sent uh, Jesus to die for us. To deal with not only the specks in our eyes, but the darkness of our hearts. Father, continue to make us the people that we ought to be. Continue to make us the people that you've declared us to be. You've declared us as your children to be righteous. And so, Father, help us to be righteous, to be holy, 
in all of the conduct of our lives. And Father, may the words that flow out of our hearts and across our lips be filled with grace and wisdom and humility and good things. Father, may these be the true reflection of your heart that's in us. Father, thank you for hearing this prayer, for your great love for us, your grace and your mercy. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. We always love hearing about the work God's doing in our listeners. If God's been doing a work in you, send us an email at info at harvestberry.ca. And remember, you are loved.